Hey classmates, Portia here. Quick note, this episode was recorded prior to Mary Alice's death on July 27, 2022, at the age of 85. We'll talk more about her legendary career and impact in a future episode. For now, please enjoy this episode of Hillman Class Reunion, dedicated to Mary Alice's final appearance on A Different World. sad too (laughs) yeah today we are wrapping up our review of season two of the most important sitcom ever a different world the time has flown by so quickly the time has flown by very quickly very quickly but the good news is we have several more seasons to go (laughs) yes we'll be back Yes, we'll be back, and we have just scratched the surface. So, hello, classmates, and welcome to this final installment of our second season of Hillman Class Reunion, and today we will review episode 22. Again, it's the final episode of the second season of A Different World. As a note, we've structured the podcast to review each in every single episode in chronological order. So if you need to catch up, no worries. We have reviewed every episode of season one and every episode of season two on the podcast. So you can download those episodes and catch up on your favorite platform, podcasting platform. We are there. So without further ado, let's get into it. The title of this episode is There's No Place Like Home. The episode aired May 4th, 1989. And in summary, it's the end of the school year. And everyone is making plans for the summer. The episode is directed by none other than Miss Debbie Allen. And the writers are Lynn Bunt and Lenore G. Bunt. Now, Portia... Am I correct when I say this is our first time seeing these writers? Yes, these are brand new to us. Now, okay, so check this out, though. Check it. According to IMDb, this is Lynn Bunt's only screenwriting credit. And Lenore wrote this episode of A Different World and one episode of Thea, if you remember that show. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I can't find any more information about these people. I I just don't know. (laughs) So classmates, if y'all know anything, let me know. I was going to ask, like, are they a couple? Are they siblings? Did they just happen to have the same last name? I can't tell. Yeah, I don't know if they're a screenwriting duo. I don't know if they're married. I don't know if they're family, blood-related. I don't know if these are aliases. You know, some people... Mm -hmm like to put up different pen names I have no idea who these people are and 
it makes me that much more curious to find out. So if there's anyone out there who knows who wrote this episode and knows anything about these people and, and knows if they're actual, actually real people, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I would love to know. Yes, please, please let us know. <laughs> All right. So the producers <laughs> are Marcy Carsey, Debbie Allen, Joanne Curly Kerner, Susan Fails, Nancy Hess, Thad Mumford, Margie Peters, and Tom Warner. Who's in this episode? Well, we have just about we have everybody. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody. Because <laughs> um, of course it's the finale, so we gotta have everybody. So we've got mm-hmm. Don Lewis, Jasmine Guy, Kadeem Hardison, Daryl and Bell, Chanel Brown, Cree Summer, Mary Alice. Is this her final appearance on A Different World? This is her final appearance. Yes, oh, let lady. us recognize the incomparable Mary Alice. Just as a reminder, her name is Mary Alice Smith, but she goes professionally by Mary Alice. Uh, She is a veteran television stage and film actress. She won a Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Play for Fences in 1987. So it's almost like she went from Fences, winning a Tony for Fences, and then she came on to A Different World. Mm -hmm. And then after A Different World, she went on to win an Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for I'll Fly Away in 1993. So she is an amazing actress on multiple mediums and her her contributions and her presence on a different world will never be forgotten um the character of letty was quite powerful mm-hmm. we learned a lot with this woman of the world yeah and yeah so that is that is miss mary alice so salute to mary alice letty we will miss you so Sinbad is in this episode, Glenn Terman, Lou Myers, and then we have a guest appearance by Frank S. Jenkins, who plays Dr. Abbott. And, you know, just as a reminder, we saw Mr. Jenkins in episode 17 of season two, The Thing About Women. This is his final appearance on A Different World. And according to IMDb, this is his final television acting credit. So as a reminder, he's a poet and a playwright. So we are assuming that this probably took up most of his time since he had retired as a television actor. And we also learned from our research that he passed away in 2014 at the age of 89. So... Uh, He did live quite a long life. Yes. And there's a fun fact that we were able to find about Mr. Frank Jenkins. Did you know that he was married for 40 years to veteran actress Lynn Hamilton? Did not know that. Yes. So uh, you may or may not recognize the name, but you certainly uh, recognize her her face. So she's had numerous TV and film credits from the 60s all the way to the 2000s, including Gunsmoke, The Waltons, Roots, The Next Generation, uh, Sanford and Son. She played Fred Sanford's girlfriend. Evelyn, right? I, I can't remember her name, but yeah. If, I think it's Evelyn. It might be, yeah. I think mm-hmm. she, she might have been a nurse. I can't remember. But yeah, so she played Fred Sanford's girlfriend. 
she was also on 227, Golden Girls, Generations, Moesha, The Practice, the list goes on and on. So yeah. she's been around uh, quite a while and I, she may still be doing some acting today. So in that episode of the Golden Girls that she was in, or at least one of the episodes of the Golden Girls, was this the one where Dorothy's son was marrying a black woman and she played, Miss Hamilton played the mother? I think so. Yeah, I, I think, think so. It was either Dorothy or, or Blanche's son, one of them. It was Dorothy's but, son. Yeah. Yeah, it was Dorothy's son. But yeah. Oh, cool. I did not know that. That is a very interesting fun fact. Yeah, yeah. And just sidebar, classmates, y'all know how we do. We like to go through and and call out the creators of each of these episodes, as well as the cast members and the guest cast members, just to give them the recognition and to just be thorough and make sure that we recognize who's on these episodes. But especially when it comes to the producers, the writers and the directors, that is super important. One thing that that I've come to realize doing this show um, and something that I suspected, but it's been confirmed, you cannot assume that films and TV shows with predominantly Black cast are created by a predominantly Black um, creative team. Right. I learned that too. Yeah, it is not a given that a Black sitcom is going to have a Black director, Black writers, Black producers. No. As a matter of fact, that's that's more of an exception and not the rule, especially of a certain time. Back in the yeah. 80s, that was not a given. Today, yeah. you're, you are more likely to see more of that. Maybe not an entirely Black creative team, but there's more Black people on that creative team. But, I mean, it is something to Mm -hmm. see somebody like, for instance, Debbie Allen, who, as we've mentioned, every episode this season, she directed every single episode at a time when Black women were hardly directing anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, Black women didn't have those opportunities. And so she was able to direct an episode of television every week and uh, from 1988 to 89 and then she'll she'll continue to direct um in the coming seasons so those things need to be recognized and we need to call that out and we need to also pay attention when we don't see that as well Mm -hmm. and think about what kind of um what kind of material is being put out there without the input of black people without black people being part of that creative process but then being put out there with black people having to sell that product Right. So this is why we go through, we take the time to go through and call out all these people and recognize what they've done, because you'd be surprised how many non-Black people are responsible for the things that we hold so dear as far as, you know, what we think are Black shows and Black films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very excellent point. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into this final episode of season two. Mm-hmm. All right. So we open this episode at McClurkin Hall, which is the boys dorm. If y'all don't already know, it is finals week and Walter is handing out housing forms for students to complete by the end of the week to secure their dorm rooms for the following year. 
But Ron and Dwayne let him know that this form won't be necessary because these upperclassmen are getting their own apartment off campus. Yes, it's going to be a two and a half bedroom, one and a half bath, <laughs> balcony, microwave. Microwave is how you stun on them in 89. Right, right. right. Trash compactor. <laughs> they got access to a pool and a jacuzzi. Jacuzzi. Man, listen, you need to see it. High life. Yes. And although Walter is concerned that they may not be able to afford all this, Ron lets him know that between Dwayne's scholarship money and his father's allowance, hashtag C average, come on, Ron, <laughs> they are straight. Ain't no need to worry. They got the money. And in fact, they invite Walter to their housewarming party slash end of the year celebration on Sunday night. They're already making plans. That's how much they know that they're about to get this apartment. Meanwhile, we cut over to the pit where Whitley informs Kim and Freddie that instead of cruising the Mediterranean with her mother, she will be working at an art gallery as the assistant coordinator of public acquisitions, a.k.a. working at the gift shop. <laughs> Poor Marion. But that's all right with Whitley, because even though her mom is upset with her change of plans, she's just excited to have a chance to be a full-time working woman earning $75 a week. Mm -hmm. Now let's just stop right there. Because Kim's ears perk up when she hears how much this girl is making and reveals that she'll be making $325 a week as a student research assistant. And that does not sit well with Whitley at all. <laughs> okay, so let's just break this down. Whitley is supposed to be earning $75 a week on her job at the gift shop. Assuming mm -hmm. she works five days a week, that's, mm -hmm. that's only $15 a day. Right. Or $1.88 per hour mm -hmm. if she's working eight hours a day. That is well under federal minimum wage in 1989, which was $3.35 an hour. Yikes. Yes. If she actually worked at the federal minimum wage for eight hours a day, she'd be getting $26.80 a day, not $15 Ooh. a day. <laughs> Lord, I hope that this internship includes her room and board. It's got to. It's got to include room and board and all the food you can eat. Right. Something. I'm going to need benefits. Benefits and a guaranteed job that pays well above minimum wage after college. Right. Yeah. We, we got to call this an internship because this ain't no right. job. <laughs> mm -mm. This is not even an internship. This is called exploitation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say the real word. And meanwhile, again, Kim is making three twenty five dollars a week as a research assistant. Now that equals uh, $65 a day, again, if she's working five days a week, or mm -hmm. if she's working eight hours a day, $8.13 per hour. Well yeah, above the rich. minimum wage. Yes, rich. Rich, rich. How else is a freshman going to be earning that much money? So come through STEM. Come through STEM, honey. Yes, so that is Kim and Whitley's summer situation right there. And we're not done because we still have to get to the grown folks, Mr. Mm -hmm. Gaines and Letty, who are both commiserating 
over their desire to see these children leave this campus. <laughs> they got to have their summer too. Now, meanwhile, out on the patio, we see Ron and Dwayne, and they are still making plans for their party. They just know they're about to move into a slice of heaven with this apartment. Yes. Crossing paths with Letty, they immediately invite her to their party this weekend. And, you know, like a good guest, she asks what to bring. And like a bad host, they start listing <laughs> uh, an entire menu. <laughs> well, they say, we can, you can bring some deviled eggs, some pasta salad, a vegetable plate, all of the food. Thank you very much. So we got a lot to talk about here. Yes, we do. Where did we? Let's start with Ron and Dwayne. Okay. Let's go ahead and start with Ron and Dwayne, who are very excited about moving into an off-campus apartment. So, do you have any experience living off-campus housing when you were an undergrad? And if so, why did you choose to go that route? I did not. Um, I had a full scholarship. So, my room and board were paid for. Okay. So, yeah. I did have a job. Uh, at one point, I had three jobs on campus, so I have a little Kimberly Reese in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I was better off using my resources to buy clothes and go to parties and eat out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, no living off campus for me. I was never in a rush to adult too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, what about you? Yeah, no, I was I was not interested in living off campus. I didn't have a car, so that made it impractical for me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so much easier to just be on campus. I had, I knew people who, who lived off campus, and it wasn't that far off campus. Again, we lived, we were in a very small college town. But um, our school, probably like a lot of schools, had on-campus apartments, which were, mm-hmm. you know, off of like the main campus. And so it was far enough where you kind of felt like you were you were separated from from the main part of campus, but it was still it was still Colgate property, university property. Mm-hmm. So I had some friends that lived in in those apartments, but that was still mm-hmm. a little too far for me. It wasn't until I think my senior junior or senior year that they started having a shuttle on campus. So that made it more practical. But prior to that, it was just either you walked or you drove. And I was Mm -hmm. like, nope, I'm just going to stay in the dorm. And, you know, I got access to to these uh, cafeterias. I got my my food plan. I'm all right. I'm not in a rush. Mm. Yeah. So that worked out for me. And, you know, knowing what I know now about being grown, Girl, I'm so glad I didn't rush that process. Right. <laughs> no need to rush, but I understand why they would be excited. Yeah. Now, had I been financially responsible for my housing, then it may have made sense to live off campus or, you know, I can see it happening. But again, since it was paid for, I definitely had the economic intuition to capitalize off of you know, my scholarship and to take advantage of free room and board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now the only thing, the closest thing that, that I can say is my senior year, there was a, um, 
probably, I think, I guess maybe the summer before, there was a fraternity who had a fraternity house and they hosted a party mm-hmm. and uh, something happened. And, oh. um, and then the, the fraternity got suspended. And during their suspension, the house was open for uh, non-fraternity members to move in. Okay. And so we plotted and decided we was going to take that house over. Yes, as you should. And when I say we, I mean black folks. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was open and available to everybody. And one of us was an RA and, and was assigned to that house. And so she said, come on. And when it was time for us to, you know, register for housing, we all chose rooms in that house. As you should. And, ooh, child, some people were tight. But uh, that's that's what we did our senior year. We lived in a fraternity Uh house. And so that's probably the closest that I would get to, like, this off-campus apartment living that Ron and Dwayne are talking about which was an experience, Mm. but it wasn't like I had my own space. It was almost like we Mm -hmm. were in a, in a dorm. (laughs) Right. Gotcha. So anyway, that was, that was undergrad. Okay. Okay. All right. Now let's get back to Whitley and Kim and about these summer jobs. Now, did you have a job during summer break, uh, during undergrad? I did. So the summers between my freshman and sophomore years, I worked at the Central Administrative Office for the Adams County School District. Um, I was basically an office assistant. So um, the I was an office assistant within the Division of Federal Programs. So, you know, the school district had a few federal grants that they managed that funded some special programs. So I provided assistance to the the staff in that office. And then the summers between my junior and senior year and the summer after my senior year, I participated in the American Economic Association Summer Minority Program. So that was a summer research and enrichment program designed to um, encourage and foster the development of minority and underrepresented minority students who were considering and or wanted to get a PhD in economics. So that came with, and that was in Denver, Colorado. And so that came with free room and board, um, a stipend, and I took classes for which I was able to get graduate school credits for. That's that's how you met Talisha, right? That's how I met Talisha, who was a guest on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Yep, we met in that summer program. What about you? So for me, let's see, my summer jobs in undergrad, I remember the summer after my first year, I did a summer STEM program at SUNY Stony Brook because at the time I thought I wanted to go to med school. So mm-hmm. this was like a pre-med kind of situation. And then, and and that came with a stipend. A lot of the stuff I did were, were programs, academic mm-hmm. programs that were paid. Um, and then the summer after my second year, I did an REU program, Research Experiences for Undergrads at Syracuse University. And that was when I first started working with uh, some of the people that I ended up working with for my master's program. Oh, I did research on rat 
tail bones. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I, I had no idea that rats had bones in their tails. Neither did I. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. So I think my first year I ended up scanning them and then like drawing, you know, it went through some type of computer software program and I was able to uh, draw around it to get the geometry of the bone. And then I returned the summer after my junior year back into the REU program, back working with my same advisor, looking at rat tail bone. But this time I was looking through um, through a machine to mm-hmm. look at um, density, bone density oh, okay, and bone mineral content. And all these things kind of led up to what I was doing in my master's um, thesis. But that was an experience. And then on top of that, I decided that I was going to condense a year of organic chemistry into one summer. Oh, uh, yeah. A year? So that was an intense time. Yeah, I needed to take that class if I was going to graduate on time because okay. I had decided that I was going to explore <laughs> and switch my major a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And by the time I landed on a particular major, I ended up being a physical science major. I needed organic chemistry. Gotcha. And the only way I could do it was that summer. So that was intense. Because I remember in undergrad, organic chemistry was the make or breaker for a lot of students. Like a lot of students who came into college with uh, declaring pre-med as their major, they changed it after organic chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I was terrified. Kudos to you for doing that in the summer. I really took a chance and I knew, so not only did I have to um, complete the course and and do well enough, then I had to come back to Colgate and take an exam so that they would accept my grades. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like the first week that I came back for my senior year, I had to take an exam to show that I understood enough of organic chemistry for them to accept both of those classes. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I mean, if that didn't happen, I don't know what I'd do. But good um, for you, girl. Yeah, child. So that was that. And I don't remember what I did the summer after my senior year, basically between... um, I, I must have, I think I just chilled because mm-hmm. I graduated and then instead of going right to school, I uh, worked for a year at Colgate, mm-hmm. but I feel like I just kind of was sitting there because I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> gotcha. I understand. Yeah. All right. So lots of experiences um, doing different types of uh, summer jobs and programs between us. Now, we also have experience working on college campuses, yep. so we could probably relate to Letty and Mr. Gaines when they're talking about their plans for, you know, after the school year ends. How did you feel about the the summer session, I guess, because it's not like the, the employees leave, they're still working, but what did you look forward to when it, when it came time to the summers? Just the summer. So I taught summer classes. So it's not like I got an extended break, but the summers did seem just slightly more laid back. The classes were smaller. So I enjoyed that. And um, the classes ran between, you know, from Monday to Thursday. So Fridays were a guaranteed off and there were fewer staff and faculty meetings. So I enjoyed that part of it. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, for me, um, I didn't teach, but I did research. Mm -hmm. And um, usually we would have more students in our lab because they wanted to get summer research experience. But what I most remember is just that it was so much easier to get around campus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were less people. And, you know, you, you could get a, a parking spot a lot easier. Mm -hmm. It was just nice. You know, sometimes it was a little weird because you're looking out and you're just like, I feel like I've seen nobody today. So that those were times where I kind of felt like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. I'm going to go on break too. <laughs> yeah, definitely get that sentiment. Yeah. All right. So, so that is Ron and Dwayne, Whitley and Kim, and Letty and Mr. Gaines making plans for the coming summer. So let's move on. And we actually are returning back to the pit. This is later on in the evening. So this time we see the grown men, which are Mr. Gaines, Colonel Taylor, Walter, and, and Dr. Abbott. They are there after hours playing poker. Now through all of the trash talking, we find out that Walter is actually planning to work at a summer camp. But that's not all he's doing mm -hmm. because after the kids leave for the day, so this may be a day camp, it sounds like, he and his brother are going to slap on some Old Spice <laughs> hop in a convertible and run in them streets they about to have fun this summer about to get it in uh-huh and what about jaleesa well apparently she's going to be installing cable tv throughout camden new jersey check out the grown woman working hard My no goodness. she's going to be doing sales remember no, she's installing cable at first. Then she gets promoted to sales. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so she starts off doing manual labor. Oh, okay. Woo. So the plan is that he's going to see her every few weeks. Maybe. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I don't know. Now, Mr. Gaines and Colonel Taylor, who have firsthand experience with the effectiveness of Old Spice, gently tease Walter <laughs> about his interesting social plan. You know, you put on that Old Spice, you asking for it. Right. Now, let's just pause right there. I just have to, I have to point out Mr. Gaines. I love me some Mr. Gaines. So he talks about, you know, when Walter mentions uh, working at a summer camp, Mr. Gaines chimes in and he says that he's worked at a summer camp before. Called, Jack of all trades. There you go. The male lady. Mr. Gaines worked at a summer camp called Camp Tepawingo. <laughs> and he says that it's Indian for happy land in the hills. Now, I just have to pause right there. If this episode was done today, I'm sure well, they may or may not have Mr. Gaines say it like that because mm -hmm. there's no such thing as, you know, Indian when, you know, he, he really, you really want to mention the actual tribe. Right. Um, but uh, he just says it's just Indian. Um, <laughs> but then again, you know, Mr. Gaines is Mr. Gaines. So maybe they would have him say it just like that. Right. But anyway, I've looked it up and it seems that Tapawingo is an indigenous term, possibly Mohawk, that roughly translates to house of joy. Which is very similar to what Mr. Gaines said. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to happy land mm -hmm. in the hills. So mm -hmm. 
So that that tracks. And then also, apparently, there's several camp Tapawingos throughout the country. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's not clear which one Mr. Gaines worked at, but it, it's a real thing. So I wonder if one of these writers may have uh, spent summers at a camp Tapawingo and wanted to give a shout out. I'm sure someone did. And shout out to you for doing the research. <laughs> I was like, is this a word? Did they just make that <laughs> So I had no idea. That is a real word. Okay, now let's get back to the matter at hand. What do you think about Walter's plans to basically sow his oats while Jaleesa is in New Jersey? I think I'm not surprised at all because if you recall in a previous episode, Walter did not even burn his black book, nor did he make a real explicit commitment to Jaleesa. After he cut up after he cut up, was in his feelings about her, seeing her ex, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all, especially at that age. Yeah. <laughs> that that young man is ready to get it in. And his brother has the car. Yeah. And they got Old Spice. And they got Old Spice. So, yeah. All bets are off. All bets are off. So... I, it sounds like I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to ask anyway. Do you think it's realistic to expect your significant other not to have a social life without you around? Absolutely not. And also, I wouldn't want my significant other not to have a social life because I'm not especially clingy. Mm-hmm. And I like having a life outside of my significant other. So I definitely appreciate him having one. Even if that includes members of the opposite sex. Now, the other thotting and bopping he does, you know, that's his business. And the thotting and bopping that I do is my business. <laughs> if, if we thotting and bopping, we going to thot and bop together. Not together, but simultaneously. Simultaneously. Okay. <laughs> that's my take on things. What's good for the goose, good for the gander. Doggone right. All right. Now let's move on to the next scene. We will continue this with Walter, but he is in McClurkin Hall dealing with housing applications when Jaleesa walks in to give him some exciting news. It's a bit of a wrench in his plans. Instead of installing cable this summer, Jaleesa received a promotion to sales representative covering southern New Jersey and northern Pennsylvania, which will be Walter's neck of the woods. How exciting. Not only that, (laughs) she will have access to a company car, making weekend visits now possible. Now they can be together every Mm -hmm. weekend. And if she works overtime, she can visit on Wednesdays too, so they can keep the relationship going extra strong now. Midweek and end of the week. There you go. And clearly, Walter is overwhelmed. (laughs) and he is scrambling trying to think of a reason why this is not the good idea Jaleesa thinks it is but my girl Jaleesa she ain't no fool she quickly picks up that Walter does not want to see her that often this summer Mm -hmm. and her suspicions that Walter must have another woman in mind were confirmed when she smelled that old spice right he already started testing it out it ain't even the summer yet now, Jaleesa storms out and Walter follows behind her. Meanwhile, Dwayne walks in with a beach chair, a snorkel and goggles, 
an umbrella and a mini barbecue grill. I guess he needed to just be out in the open and let everybody know. Just let him know. Talking about, <laughs> talking about a flex. Yeah, had to stun on him right quick. He wanted to practice living the good life before this big move to their new apartment. Ron enters the room and he has some news to reveal to Dwayne. When Ron's dad found out that he got a D in Latin, he decided to pull his credit cards and now they cannot afford to live at the Via Monte Cristo. And Dwayne is livid. I think I would be too. But Ron has it figured out. He found another place at La Grenade which Ron thinks is French for the Grenade, but actually it's French for the Grenade. (laughs) And we will see why. Right. But before Dwayne could get worked up again, Ron reveals that they're subletting from Slick Rick Gilmore, the guy with the red Porsche and leather clothes. Now, if Slick Rick is styling and profiling like that, this place gotta be fly, right? Gotta be. Gotta be. Wrong. We are so wrong. Because the next morning, they visit their new spot. And yes, it looks like a grenade hit it. <laughs> OMG, that place looks dirty. Shout out to the set designers who who put that whole thing together. Because that place looks so dirty. <laughs> so gross. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Very nasty. I've forgotten who the landlord was until, you know, we started watching or, you know, reviewing this episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. So this place looks like nobody has lived in it for quite some time and nobody has maintained it for quite some time. Mm-mm. Now, this seems to be Ron and Dwayne's first experience with their first apartment. What was your experience like when you first got your apartment? Did it look did it look anything like the grenade? No. Man. <laughs> Thank goodness. Now, the neighborhood, especially if you let my mom describe it, looked a little shaky. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm from Mississippi. I moved to a relatively urban northeast area that just didn't look like what my mom was used to when it came to apartment communities. Mm -hmm. Because in the South, most of the, a lot of the apartment communities that my cousins and other relatives lived in were relatively newer complexes that had multiple floors, indoor um, washer and dryer, heating and air conditioning units, and were basically in closed off or suburban slash gated areas. So the apartment, I, my first apartment was in a row house. It kind of mimicked a brownstone that you would see in maybe Brooklyn or somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the neighborhood was supposed to be in a gentrifying space so it looked a little suspect so my mom was not happy or you know she was a little nervous rather about the neighborhood but inside was very nice it had a dishwasher it had central air and heating it was small but nice nonetheless Mm -hmm. and I did see it before I signed the lease so I I did make a visit to Syracuse to, to see the apartment because unlike Dwayne and Ron, I'm I'm just not very trusting. Yeah. No, that that's super important. And I liked your apartment. I liked it a lot. Thanks. Yeah. Um, thankfully, my first apartment was not like Dwayne and Ron's. Actually, you were part of um 
the process of, of getting my first apartment, you came with me. Oh, um, to Durham or Chapel yeah. Hill. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, to look for my first place. And so that experience worked out. And I liked my apartment. It, it was a, a good size for me. It was affordable. Still living kind of hand to mouth because I went down there for grad school. So I had my little grad school stipend to right. cover that. But thank goodness I was able to get my own place. And I loved it. It was great. But I have had experiences where I had to get a place sight unseen, which was very tricky. Mm-hmm. I moved to Missouri. And I ended up subletting an apartment. And well, actually, it was a it was a condo, I guess, technically. But um, that worked out really well. And that came in at the last second because I was scrambling trying to find a place. Thank goodness um, I was able to get that and had no problems there. And then I ended up having to go back to North Carolina and I couldn't. I, I couldn't visit, I couldn't find a place um, and, and look at it with my own two eyes. Mm-hmm. And that didn't turn out as great. Um, uh. Yeah, so I had to deal with that. It, the location was, was fine. The neighborhood was fine. It's just the actual unit wasn't that great. Gotcha. So yeah, but again, thank goodness, I've never had to deal with a La Grenade situation where the door is just falling off the hinges. <laughs> yeah. Now, even though my first apartment was nice, over I did spend uh, quite a bit of time there because I ended up working in Syracuse and staying a lot longer than initially planned. But over time, the management in the unit um, was just disastrous. And so the upkeep Basically, they failed at upkeep, and uh, the unit basically was a redeveloped older building, and so I think the redevelopment efforts were shoddy, so eventually, you know, that materialized into, you know, poor conditions, and girl, there was an insect infestation, and Mm. there was, I realized that there had been mold and mildew in the place and I even it got so bad that I started withholding rent because no one was six you know no one went to fix anything I threatened to call code enforcement so finally I just ended up moving mm. uh, that that's always a nightmare when you have yeah. when you're when you're renting a place and then you're dependent on somebody else with the upkeep and they don't want to do that yeah the management just became horrible mm, mm, mm. Um. And so uh, we will find out who the management is for this particular uh, apartment here. Mm-hmm. But before we go any further, let's back up because we got to talk about this Walter and Jaleesa thing. Oh, yeah. So Jaleesa just dropped a bomb and said that, you know, we thought we were going to have to spend several weeks apart throughout the summer. But it turns out it's only going to be a couple of days because I'll be able to come up every weekend and sometimes on Wednesdays. And Walter said, oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't know if we could do that. So what do you think about that? Have you ever been in a situation where you may have wanted to spend more time with, with someone and then they're like, mm, no, thanks? Or has the opposite happened where somebody's like, you know, we could spend all day together, every day. Yeah. And you're like, Mm-mm. I've been on both sides. Um, the time 
where someone wanted to spend more time with me, the the boyfriend in my case was was a bit clingy, which is I really don't do I don't do well with clingy. And then there were there have been occasions in situationships or relationships where not necessarily like general time, but there may have been an occasion where I wanted to do something and maybe there were a few occasions where there was something specific I wanted to do and my significant other at the time, you know, always had an excuse or couldn't, but, and it made me suspicious and I, my suspicions would be confirmed that they were involved with someone else. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even when, you know, the conversation had been had that there was supposed to be exclusivity. Yeah. So let's be clear, you know, these are situations where, you know, there was communication we are supposed to be in, in an exclusive relationship, seeing each only each other. And, you know, for me, that was a telltale sign. Yeah. What about you? Thank goodness I have not been in that situation where I, you know, someone has wanted to spend more time with me than I, than I preferred, or um, I wanted to spend more time with them. Yeah. I felt like it was, it was a good, you know, amount that Good. we both could handle. But yeah, it's just it's interesting that again, it's it's like Walter and Jalisa just keep missing each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've seen Walter show his jealousy when ex-husband Lamar came to town. And, you know, now he wants to assert his his position in, in Jalisa's life. Um, he wants to be more than just a friend. Uh, or wants to be introduced as more than just a friend. And then, of course, at the very beginning of the season, we see Jaleesa getting all these gifts from her boyfriend back in New Jersey. And that's when Walter starts sniffing around and he wants to know what's going on and why not us? Why not me? Maybe we can be an item. You can drop that guy. So it's almost like Walter only seems to want Jaleesa when he knows that there's some competition going. Girl, that's how most men are. Yeah. <laughs> Let me not say most. A lot of guys are like that. And when Jaleesa's like, there's nothing but space and opportunity between us. Let's go. And Walter's like, mm, I'd rather not. Right. I think I'm good right over here and you over there. So interesting. Walter at his big age. Sitting up mm. here flip-flopping. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess we will see what happens later on between those two. But the biggest thing is trying to figure out what Ron and Dwayne are going to do with their living situation because this is not, this is not tenable. Nope. All right, so we will find out actually after this break. We're going to take a pause for the cause. Okay. Hillman Class Reunion is committed to supporting institutions that center Black people and communities. We hope that as you return week after week to listen to our podcast, you will hear us use our voices in support of historically Black colleges and universities. And we encourage our classmates to learn about, advocate for, and actively support these institutions of higher education. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted every part of society, with Black lives, Black communities, and Black institutions being amongst the hardest hit. Therefore, All season long, 
we will highlight and donate to a variety of HBCUs, which have long been the foundation of Black excellence, Black intelligence, and Black innovation. Now more than ever, these institutions need our support. This week, we are highlighting and donating to the University of the Virgin Islands in St. Thomas and St. Croix, Virgin Islands. Founded in 1962, UVI is known for its exceptional marine biology program, which attracts students from all over the world. Go to uvi.edu or hillmanclassreunion.com wordpress to learn more about UVI and ways you can support. All right, so we are back and now we got to see what's happening with Ron and Dwayne's apartment at La Grenade. So we see them entering their new apartment and they quickly survey the damage. The front door fell off the hinges. The apartment looks visibly dirty. The living room has <laughs> several pieces of mismatched furniture. Mm-mm. They have a raisin that looks like a roach and a roach that looks like a raisin. And for some reason, they have a piano in the corner. we will see that piano in use later now ron can't even call his father for help because the phone is broken (laughs) they can't even call if he can't call his father for help they can't even call 911 no 911 nothing nothing this ain't safe this ain't (laughs) where is code enforcement (laughs) girl somebody got to go to jail Now, just then, the apartment manager arrives with a box of tools and is none other than Mr. Gaines. I was so disappointed. Ugh. Well, actually, it's his wife, Velma, that's the manager, but she's on vacation visiting her twin sister, which I don't think I knew that she had a twin sister. I didn't either. So we learned something new about Miss Velma Gaines. Mm -hmm. Uh, So while she's gone, he's there to take care of the place. But when Ron and Dwayne begin complaining about the state of the unit, he lets them know in no uncertain terms that he don't care. And he (laughs) promptly leaves. (laughs) The man made a circle right back out the door. And so Ron and Dwayne have no other choice but to make the most of a bad situation. Yeah. Like you said, I'm disappointed with Mr. Gaines in this situation. Mr. Gaines, you a lot of things, but now Slumlord, I did not know you to be. Okay. (laughs) I'm very upset. You know, and Mr. Gaines sitting up here trying to be slick. He ain't slick. He threatened them with a lawsuit before they could. He sure did. (laughs) He sure did. He knew they they could probably sue the pants right off of him, and but he took advantage probably of his you know position as an authoritative figure because this mm-hmm. is still Mister Gaines from the pit, and he said I I will sue, or Velma will sue. Yeah, I, I was very disappointed, but Mister um, Gaines ain't slick, but Mister Gaines is slick. That's what you call wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what to do. He knows how to how to work these churn. Mm-hmm. He's been around college students much longer than these college students been around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one thing that I noticed, I don't know if you noticed, just how calm Dwayne actually was in this I whole was, situation. I was struck by that because, you know, Ron 
It's not uncommon for Ron to make these kinds of mistakes and faux pas, etc. And usually Dwayne blows up. And we've seen Dwayne blow up on Ron on many occasions. But this time, to your point, he was surprisingly calm. I'm going to put this on. It's the end of the school year. He's just like, you know what? No worries. And maybe just the excitement of having their own spot overshadows the current situation at hand. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, you know, mind you, just a short while ago, Dwayne was was hot like fire and was chasing Ron around the room because Ron's, Ron caused them to lose their original apartment. Mm-hmm. So, you True. know, to know that, and I'm sure they visited the place. So to think about where they could have been and where they are now, I would have thought that Dwayne would be a lot more upset. But, you know, sometimes you can get so mad that you get calm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. And so he might have he might have went all the way over to that end and was just he like, may have. I'm I'm Zen, I'm focused. Yeah. Because uh what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kill him and that's right. how this is gonna work and, out. And so to avoid <laughs> me going to jail, let me just chill. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think you may have hit the nail on the head. <laughs> and Ron, meanwhile, is freaking out out and one of the things I noticed was that you know he said that he told Susan Debbie Yvette and Margie they could be queens in his kingdom I guess the kingdom was going to be the apartment (laughs) right (laughs) now maybe this is me looking into it just a little too hard but I feel like these were easter eggs I feel like these were easter eggs and these were shout outs two people on the creative team. So what I mean by that is Susan, I think, refers to Susan Fales, who's the writer and producer of A Different Mm -hmm. World. Debbie, of course, Debbie Allen, director, producer. Yvette is Yvette Denise Lee. Uh, We know her as Yvette Lee Bowser. Um, But at the time, she was the program consultant and she was a writer uh, she just wrote the episode about Whitley getting the job. I think that's episode 19 mm-hmm. of this season. And then Margie Peters, who's also a writer slash producer yep. on A Different World. So I think that's who those people are supposed to be. I think you're right. So shout out to Ron and shout out to the writers of this episode who we still don't know who they are. Lynn Bunt and Lenore Bunt. <laughs> <laughs> but that was quite clever. Mm -hmm. one more thing I want to point out so we've already established that Ryan is bankrolled by his father his father gives him credit cards and now he's revoked those because Ryan didn't do well academically you know the first thing that he thinks of when he walks into the apartment is that he's going to call his dad so he could fix this Ryan is certainly not used to living in this type of situation Mm mm-hmm Ron strikes me as someone who probably relates a bit to Whitley in the sense that Ron is used to being taken care of by his parents. Oh, yeah. I I can definitely see that. Yep. But it seems that there's there's not as much of a focus on that when it comes to Ron like it is Whitley. Yeah. Like we are very well aware that Whitley is taken care of, Mm -hmm. but 
we forget or it's not mentioned as much that Ron is also taken care of. And Ron, yeah. you know, may come from, if not all the way upper class, upper middle class kind of uh, position. Yeah, I think another difference is, too, that Ron may be from new money, whereas Whitley seems to come from legacy wealth. Right, right. And so, and there is a difference in, in um, the attitudes and posture when, you know, when the money is new versus when it's legacy. That's very true. Yeah. Whitley's parents have had money and have had connections for years. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ron, I'm sure between that car dealership that his father owns and, and probably the connections that his father has through being a brother of Kappa Lambda Nu, I'm sure that has helped um, right. to elevate their, their family situation. Mm-hmm. So that is a good point to make though, because to, as you just noted, it's not emphasized as much as with it, as it is with Whitley. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and emphasize in a way to kind of, um, to kind of not punish her, but to kind of call Whitley out mm-hmm. like that. That's almost a flaw. The fact that you don't know anything cause you're just taken care of and you're so out of touch. Right. Well, Ron is a little bit as well. Ron, yeah, Ron doesn't absolutely. know what it's like to have to work for his dollar either. Right. That is very true. You know, which also goes back to his attitude and posture when they had the group assignment. Right. He's used to or, you know, was assuming that Dwayne would carry the, the you know, the brunt of the workload. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of his solutions was to try to buy a paper. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's not used to having to work for, for mm-hmm. anything. He's used to just somebody else does it. Except Kappa Lambda knew. <laughs> right, yeah. He knew he had to earn that one. <laughs> All right. So there we have it. They are, I guess they're going to deal with this horrible apartment <laughs> with this landlord that's not going to do anything. Now, meanwhile, back over at Gilbert Hall, we see Jaleesa in Letty's apartment venting about the mixed messages Walter has been giving her. First, he seemed sad about their last days together before the break. But now that she's figured out a way for them to be together throughout the summer, he's acting like he doesn't want to see her. Mm-hmm. But Letty, unfortunately, is barely paying attention to her because she is too busy preparing food for Dwayne and Ron's party. Meanwhile, Whitley sneaks in. <laughs> and she really did sneak in. Uh, to share the good news that she'll be working this summer. She's just so excited. She's telling everybody. But Letty's even more distracted as she finds her ravioli and trout are ruined. She was actually going to bring good food to this party. Mm -hmm. And she should have brought some crackers, cheese and crackers. Now, in the next scene, we cut to Ron and Dwayne's place, cleaned, newly decorated, and full of people. They, They figured it out. Having a party. Mm-hmm. Letty, being Letty, she, she knows how to do anything. She was able to remix her overcooked pasta and burned fish into a pasta casserole, which turned <laughs> out to be a hit, clearly, because Colonel Taylor was tearing it up. <laughs> now, off to the side, we see Walter trying to explain to Jaleesa why he wanted time uh, for a little space this summer. But guess what? 
two can play that game, if Walter can have a summer of freedom, then so can she. Dog, all right. And she might just start tonight. So we see Jaleesa making eyes for for somebody to dance with tonight. (laughs) Now, as the gang enjoys themselves and takes pictures, Freddie with that camera, Dwayne sneaks off to the fire escape and sees Whitley sitting alone. Dwayne shares that he'll be working as an intern at Konishiwa Electronics this summer. And Whitley reveals her frustration about feeling directionless. Unlike him and Kim, uh, who both knew what they wanted to do when they were kids. Dwayne assures her that she has her whole life ahead of her to figure it out. And after realizing their appreciation for each other, they ponder just for a second the possibility of sharing a kiss and then quickly dismiss the thought. And then the scene ends with Mr. Gaines leading everyone in a group sing-along. Aww. So... Let's break this scene down a little bit. So first of all, I kind of thought it was cool that Letty and Walter and Colonel Taylor and Mr. Gaines showed up. Because this is, you know, this is a student house party, but, you know, these grown folks came. Mm -hmm. But I also wondered, like, how would you feel? You You were a professor on a college campus. If a student invited you to their house party, would you want to attend? No. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm surprised. That was one of the things that threw me off about this particular episode. That I mean, I know you have to do it for television and sitcom magic, so I get that part of it. But yeah, I was surprised that Letty agreed to prepare food. Right. I'm like, mm, I don't think that would happen in the real world, but who knows? But I'm sure there are maybe staff and faculty who may fraternize with students outside of the room but yeah no I would not I actually would not accept friend requests on social media with my students until they graduated Mm -hmm. and that was my hard and fast rule because you know I would come in and they obviously looked very young and I was relatively young compared to a lot of other professors and instructors and someone asked me oh you know can we look you up on Facebook I said my policy is we can be social media buddies once you graduate right yeah I mean I I still think it's kind of cool but I'm thinking about it now and I remember seeing faculty and staff it it was a rare occasion it didn't it it wasn't often but I remember seeing them at get-togethers but these were usually in the daytime um and so I think the nighttime kind of adds a different a different flavor, a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. I can see that it could go left if, you know, folks want to start having some fun and start getting mm-hmm. some alcohol out and start doing stuff. Like I could see Letty and them making a beeline for the door. Like it's time to go. Mm-hmm. It would probably make more sense if this was a day party. Yeah. Um, than than an evening situation. Yeah. But yeah, I if I were invited, I probably would turn it down too because I just feel a little too, too weird. It'd be crossing the line somehow. Maybe I would, you know, if I felt close enough, maybe I might get them a gift card or get them some type of gift to um, congratulate them for yeah. getting their new place, support them in that way, but not necessarily show up to their party. 
So, but yeah, to your point, this this is TV, and this is this the season finale. So they True. had to figure out a way to get all of them, everybody <laughs> together. Yeah, get everybody together. Uh, okay, so let's move on to Jalisa and Walter, who had their little exchange, and Jalisa let Walter know that you know she has some oats to sow as well. What do you think about that? Uh, so I totally get it. I would have done that too. It's sowing my wild oats, but I would not have told him. <laughs> I just would have done it. Okay. Yeah. I may have left breadcrumbs, but I would not have just explicitly said it. Because mm-hmm. like, similar to Walter in a previous episode, the thing about women, I would have acted indifferent, even though I probably would not have been and just did me and maybe left a little trail of breadcrumbs to see if he picked them up. And if he did, great. If he didn't, oh, well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as long as I know, you ain't playing me. <laughs> well, there's strategy in both parts. Sometimes you want mm-hmm. somebody to 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 shape, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> what about what? What would you do? What did you think about her move? I think her move was was warranted, was valid. Um, I think there there's benefits in in both. Whether you decide to tell them, well, I'm gonna be out here too, or just say, okay, well, you know, do you? Mm-hmm. And just leave it at that. The main thing, though, is I hope that she does actually enjoy herself. Not necessarily out of spite. Because, you know, if you don't want to be out and about, then don't do it just because somebody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not going to work anyway. Sure. But um, use this as an opportunity to think about what it is that you want and who yeah. you want to spend your time with. And, sure. you know, hopefully she comes out on the other side of the summer having more answers than she has right now that is yeah great point and we shall see (laughs) we shall see all right now let's talk about the other potential couple here we have whitley and Dwayne having a bit of a moment we've we've spent the whole season there was a lot of work being done to get whitley and Dwayne to this point because yes in season one they were not we we didn't see it for them at all Mm mm-mm and now here they've had several moments of, of uh, you know, confiding in each other and supporting each other. Well, they did have a tender moment at the end of season one. It was sure did. It wasn't explicit, but remember it was Denise and Whitley and Dwayne, I think, and they all went out for dinner and Dwayne was a really good friend to Whitley. I think she even like laid her head on his shoulder at one point. Yeah, so Dwayne and and Denise were on a date and Whitley crashed it. Right, right. So yeah, she imposed herself on them and they were were kind enough to oblige. Mm -hmm. But of course, the episode ended with Dwayne and and Denise kissing. Right, right. And now we've come to a point where we might see Whitley and Dwayne kiss and they, they faked us all out and decided that, of course, that wouldn't happen. There's no way. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know what's going to happen later. But um, what do you think about that moment on the fire escape? Looked like it was a sign of things to come for sure. It definitely was. Um, it was a great teaser at the time, especially not knowing what we know now. Hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. But I think it was a great way to wrap up this particular season and to also 
set the tone for the new relationship dynamics and give us a sneak peek at what might be to come. Yeah, yeah. Now, while they were out on the fire escape, Whitley was was frustrated about not knowing what she wanted to do with her life and envying uh, Dwayne and Kim because it seems like they knew from such an early age um, that they wanted to be a doctor and an engineer. And the only thing that Whitley wanted to be was Lola Falana. <laughs> Who was Lola Falana? Lola Falana was an icon. She was well before both of our times, but she meant a lot. She she meant a lot to the culture. Um, so she was big primarily in the 60s and 70s and probably part of the early 80s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was a singer, dancer, actress, and a protege of Sammy Davis Jr. Oh. And she actually became an Italian film star. She's a Black woman, African-American, but she was an Italian film star for a while. Oh, wow. Before becoming a mainstay on American television, appearing on numerous variety shows in the 70s. You know, the 70s were big for variety shows Mm -hmm. back then. And she became the highest paid female act in Las Vegas. Okay. For a time, which is a big deal. Probably still paid less than men, but still still an accomplishment. Um, Now, in the late 80s and 90s, which was around the time of this episode, she began experiencing severe health problems related to multiple sclerosis, which caused her to step back from the spotlight. And she also became a devoted practicing Catholic. And she has made few public appearances or performances ever since. I believe she's still alive, Um, but she is living her life as a private citizen. But she made her mark on the culture for sure. Yeah, I definitely know the name, but I did not know that background. Yeah, I've really, I've heard of her being mentioned by other celebrities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen a lot of footage about her. I'm sure it exists. I actually, I did see her, a performance in the 80s on um, like um, uh, one of those muscular dystrophy uh, telethons, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So she was she was a performer on there. She was an amazing performer, actually. But I haven't seen a lot about her, but I've heard other people talk about her. And I remember Niecy Nash, you know, when she would talk about growing up, she always shouts out Lola Falana. She always wanted oh, to be okay. Lola Falana. And so she kind of credits her as like, this is this is my style icon. I'm always okay. fabulous because I saw Lola Falana be fa- fabulous on TV and mm-hmm. I wanted to be just like her. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've definitely heard her mentioned on shows, but to be honest with you, I never knew if Lola Falana was a character or a real person, but thank you for shedding some light on that. Yeah. Okay, now before we close out this scene and this episode, we got to we got to give some love to this song that they sing at the end, the Mean Children Blues. In which Mr. Gaines played the piano that was conveniently located in the Bummy apartment. Right. (laughs) A piano that was fully in tune. Fully in tune. And I do believe that was Lou Myers um, playing that piano for real. Mm -hmm. So he he is a man of many talents. So let's go through these lyrics. This is what I heard. Classmates, y'all let me know if this is what you heard as well. So Mr. Gaines starts it off with 
get up in the morning, roll out of bed, walk into the pit, take an aspirin for my head, got the blues, got those mean children blues, can't find a way to lose these mean children blues. Jukebox is blaring, folks jumping all around, burgers are burning, there's trash on the ground, got the blues, got those mean children blues, can't find a way to lose these mean children blues. (laughs) And then Letty comes out from nowhere and she says, well, you think you got problems. I live in this place. Girls bang on my door and start screaming in my face. I got the blues, got those mean children blues, can't find a way to lose these mean, mean children blues. She adds an extra mean in there. Because I'm a part-time mama, I'm a part-time nurse. With all their traumas, things here couldn't get no worse. I got the blues, got those mean children blues. Can't find a way to lose these mean, mean children blues. And let me just pause right there. These are the last words we hear from Letty. Child. Forever. (laughs) 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 The last thing she said is these children are mean. I don't think she liked her job that much. <laughs> they wore her down, child. They wore her down. All right. And then Mr. Gaines finishes it up by saying they're rude and they're selfish. Act like they don't care. Makes me so nervous. That's why I lost my hair. I got the blues. Got those mean children blues. Can't find a way to lose these mean, 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 mean children. Blue. And the students just move into it like it's a bop. Like you <laughs> realize that they are talking about you guys. Listen, it was a bop. And then I wrote out the words. I was like, ooh, this this stings a little bit. <laughs> it hurt. This is this is a little woo. I guess, you know, if you gonna show up to the children's uh party, you gonna give them a piece of your mind. I guess. Yeah, they had they had to get their, uh, you know, let out some steam somehow. So, mm-hmm. and but did they do it? But this is classic, Debbie Allen, of course, to incorporate some music. So you gotta love it. Yeah, they they got their their musical moment. So that was fun. Got the whole gang there, the whole cast uh, on this episode, and that's it. That is the final episode of season two. Yay. So what are some final thoughts and takeaways here? Um, I thought it was a cute way to wrap up everything. Um, I wish Letty, I would have liked to have seen a softer farewell to Letty, but maybe, I don't know if they knew she wasn't going to return. Right. But, um, you know, in hindsight, maybe the gathering could have been a farewell party to Letty. Yeah. Maybe she, you know, finished her degree and was moving back to Paris or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But, you know, who knows where they were when the writing of the show wrapped up. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. Because she was there to finish her degree. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Maybe she just needed that year or Mm a year and a half or, you know, I can't remember how long she was there the first season. But, yeah, she might have finished that and then gone on to greener pastures. And, you know, the teaser with Dwayne and Whitley was clever. Mm-hmm. Of course, it gave us something to look forward to and to come back for for season three. You know, wondering how that it was a nice little cliffhanger. Yeah. So I like that. Um, 
again, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But I re I can recall in watching the series when it initially aired, being surprised at how Jaleesa and Walter's relationship ended. But now, you know, in hindsight, or you know, looking back at the episodes, knowing what the end will be, it's not that surprising. Right. Yeah. The writing's on the wall. The writing is on the wall that, you know what, this is probably not going to last. Yeah. I agree. Um, For me, again, this was nice. This was one of the few episodes, surprisingly, that all of the cast members were included. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to see them all interact and especially to have that big finish at the end with, mm-hmm. in the final scene it was pretty cool. Uh, one thing to remember is that this also was finals week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and no one seemed to be worried about taking their exams. No one. So, you know, the focus was really on just being excited to start their summer adventures. But, yeah, it would have been it would have been nice to just kind of show somebody just a little bit stressed out for their finals. One thing I also noticed is that we heard about everyone's summer plans except for Freddie and Ron's. True. I wonder what they're doing. Yeah. What do you think they did over the summer? Ron is going to work for his dad. Probably, yeah. Freddie is probably doing some type of service project, I would imagine. I would think so. Maybe volunteering. Um. I would say doing some type of service-oriented project overseas, like an international project, or maybe somewhere at home, maybe in a a low to moderate income urban or rural area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I was going to say that Ron probably is taking summer classes since he didn't do so well. (laughs) Um, And I'm a little surprised I didn't hear anyone else say summer class. Mm Mm-hmm. But you might be right. He he probably is going to have to work um, at his dad's dealership to earn some money so that he can pay for this rent. But wait, on second thought, on second thought, they've already signed the lease. So Ron is probably going to summer school, I would imagine, in the town, wherever Hillman is. And then maybe he has to get a part time job, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Might as well stay local and earn some money if he's going to have to work. Yeah. But then there's a disconnect because Dwayne is going to be away, right? Doing his Kanishiwa. Yeah, he's going to be doing his internship. So Maybe he'll send Ron the money. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Well, I think his his scholarship is tied to his rent money. True, 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 true. Okay, okay. We'll see, Chad. I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. So that we that might be Ron and Freddie's situation, and, and we will have to find out when we come yeah. back for season three. Um, I'm sure they'll mention what they did. The other thing that I found interesting is that, you know, we've heard several discussions around money and class between Denise and Jaleesa in season one, and then Whitley and Kim here in season two. We haven't seen a lot around money in class with Dwayne and Ron. Mm, mm-hmm. Despite, you know, we kind of are getting context clues that Ron might be 
might come from from money, even mm-hmm. if it's new money. Um, right. And Dwayne may not. Dwayne seems to be more like a working class kind of background. So I'm a little surprised and I'm curious to know if they might explore that later on in the future. I'm surprised that they didn't mention, you know, with in a previous episode, Whitley got into an ac- a car accident and she didn't have the money and she didn't want to ask her parents for the money. So she had to work at the pit to earn the money. I'm surprised mm-hmm. there was no talk about Ron getting a job to pay mm-hmm. for his half of the rent. Maybe the money needed to, to be available immediately. So there was no time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm a little surprised that we have not gone down that route yet. Yeah. That that's a really good point too. All right. Now let's get into what we think might be different if this episode was done today. Um, let me see. I think again, this is hindsight being 2020, but had we known this would be Letty's last appearance, we may have gotten a conclusion about her degree. Yeah. You know, whether or not she finished classes or, you know, she got what she needed to get the credential and maybe a farewell party um, for Letty. Something would have been said about Mr. Gaines being a slumlord or maybe Mr. Gaines wouldn't have been a slumlord <laughs> or <laughs> the appearance of the apartment would not have been so egregious. Right. As it was. I think that would have been done um, differently. And let's see. And we would have known what uh, we would have maybe gotten some insight uh, as to what Ron and Freddie's plans were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it wouldn't have taken that long. No. (laughs) Just like one liner. Yeah, exactly. It would have been just one line. Yeah. What about you? What What do you think would have been done differently? Well... I think, uh, you know, I was a little surprised to hear about Walter having summer plans off campus. I would have assumed that he would have stayed right there in Virginia, stayed at Hellman and maybe ran a summer program for middle or high school students because most colleges have have it, um, you know, where in the summertime they will invite kids onto campus mostly for academic programs, but, you know, mm-hmm. sports programs, athletic programs, or what have you, kids coming in and out. And so I would have thought that he would have attached himself to something like that mm-hmm. instead of going, yeah. I don't know where he's going, Pennsylvania somewhere to work at a summer camp. And then also with Jaleesa, being a grown woman, <laughs> being a grown woman, even though she's an undergrad, I would have expected her to carry herself like a grad student in that ain't nobody going home for the summer. You live here now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for the summer, I would have expected her to find a job somewhere in Virginia or find a job on campus mm-hmm. instead of going back home to New Jersey, working at a cable company that may or yeah. may not have anything to do with what she intends to do when she graduates. Right. Yeah. Yeah, those are good points. So, all right. Now it's time for us to rate this final episode of season two on a scale of one to five. How would you rate it? Um, I'm going to give it 
a four. And I'll tell you what gives it a four for me. The very last, the cliffhanger. Okay. I think that for me, that makes it um, classic. So yeah, I was teetering between a three and a half and a four. I like the musical number, even though they were pretty disparaging of the students <laughs> in a comedic <laughs> way. <laughs> but um, yeah, just I'll, I'll give it a four. It was definitely a different way to end it from the first season it definitely had a different mark on it and again I really like the cliffhanger yeah yeah what about you I would give it a four as well yeah I like the cliffhanger and they're going to be able to make good on that cliffhanger unfortunately they couldn't do that with season one yeah and I like the musical number actually hearing the words this time (laughs) kind of kind of put a different shed a different light on it Mm -hmm. although it does track because unfortunately I've seen and heard so many teachers complain about students to a point where I'm like man do you even want to be here right (laughs) so but you know this is different because the complaints is are to their faces, to the students' faces, and the students are helping them. <laughs> They're just clapping and singing along. Yeah. So, you know, but that's that's TV. But, yeah, I remember that song, and uh, that's one of the more iconic moments um, of the show whenever I think about the show. And I forgot how bad the apartment was when they first walked yeah. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though that apartment is so memorable, there's a lot of things that happen there. But I forgot the connection with Mr. Gaines and I forgot the state of the apartment that it was in yeah. when I got there. So so that was good to revisit. So Yeah, I definitely forgotten the Mr. Gaines connection. Yeah. All right. So that is it for that episode. But we're not done, y'all, because we're gonna talk a little bit about season two we're going to wrap this up you know this is the final episode of season two so we got to kind of go through how we felt about about this season this debbie allen season what were your overall impressions what are your final thoughts about the season ely um i thought it was great i was i had a lot of more fun discussing the episodes um let me see. Yeah, it was it was fun to do. Anyone who's listened to season one of our podcast will notice that our discussions have definitely gotten longer <laughs> because we had more to talk about. I am surprised at the I thought I would be torn between, you know, I thought I would give a lot more fours and fives, particularly more fives than I did. Um, and again, that's not to say anything bad about season two, but, um, you know, the show definitely grew and evolved over time. Mm-hmm. So season two was a great um, change and revolution, but we really get to see the evolution of the show, I think, in the following seasons. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of the things that surprised me. I thought I would be. I thought I would be ready to give each and every single episode a four and a five or like four and a half, five, but there were some threes there. And again, that's not a bad thing, but it it does strike a good balance. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what were your expectations going into the season and now compare that to your impressions now that we're done? So, yeah, I'll just reiterate what I just said. My expectation was that I would be giving a lot of fives and fours. Mm-hmm. But there were some threes there. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I was looking forward to seeing uh, the new characters, which are some of my favorite characters. So we got a chance to finally meet Mr. Gaines, Colonel Taylor, Freddie, and Kim. Mm-hmm. And I also expected to see the more culturally relevant episodes and kind of mm. get into, again, what we... Um, have declared being the most important sitcom ever. I I expected to see um, more of that come through. And I did get that. But what I also found was that these episodes were just funnier than season one. Oh, yeah. I actually Definitely. laughed out loud a, a lot of times <laughs> yeah. compared to the one or two times that I, I felt like I I had a genuine laugh with season one. Yeah. I was definitely more entertained and there weren't any bad episodes, right? I think we liked some more than others, but there weren't any bad episodes. We had nothing on the level of Egby. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Egby is, is infamous. Now, again, if we're saying that A Different World is the most important sitcom ever, what would you say was important about season two? Uh, I would say the a lot of the references, and we point these out a lot in our discussion, but a lot of the references to Black popular culture, to Black celebrities and icons like Bishop Desmond Tutu, mm-hmm. for example, there was a Peaches and Herb uh, reference that we talked about not too long ago. The episode with Jesse Jackson, Mm -hmm. all of those were great to me. And um, just how there was a more accurate and authentic depiction of HBCU culture. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. That definitely stood out to me. I think with season one, that kind of established everything. But with season two they were able to reestablish, you know, it was a do-over in Mm -hmm. a way. And with Debbie Allen coming there to, to hit that reset button, she was able to not just show that this is college life, but this is HBCU college life. And by extension, this is black culture, you know? So even if you've never attended an HBCU, but you're, but you're black, you mm-hmm. can instantly connect with so many things that they were that they were calling out. So I thought that was important to really put blackness front and center mm-hmm. and dare to make that the thing, even though they're trying to get as many eyes on the show as possible. You know, you, you want you want to do well in the ratings and you want as many people to watch so you can continue to come back season after season. But they also were black on purpose. Yeah. And um and I think that's that's part of what makes it important is that they were able to they made the bet that blackness was going to work and it did. Mhm. Now did anything surprise you about season 2? Yeah, um the the guest appearances that were made and the history and the careers 
mm-hmm. the, extens- the extended careers that a lot of the guest stars made. That surprised me also. We talked about this. We touched on this at the top of our recording. But how many head writers were not black? I think I assumed that the second season was just all black producers, all black directors, all black writers, the whole nine. But, uh, you know, and of course there were black, I'm sure more black writers on staff than were than there were on during the first season. But um, yeah, I thought everybody was black. But and also I've learned that in a lot of sitcoms, especially at that time, during that time, um, that was simply not the case. Right. Yeah. So that that surprised me too. What about you? For me, although I knew that there would be more indicators that this was an HBCU compared to season one, I think I was surprised to realize how much of that work was actually done in the background mm-hmm. and through subtle hints in the dialogue. So I think in my mind, I thought that maybe it would be more overt references to it being mm-hmm. an HBCU and, and you know, we Black people here. Um, but they actually, I mean, they, they existed, but it was, it wasn't as frequent as I expected it to be. Okay. And, but at the same time, that that's actually how you establish an environment. It's mm-hmm. through that background. It's through the details. So, right. you know, we saw stuff like uh, Black Greek letter paraphernalia in, in the extras that were walking around. Um, we heard references to games against HBCUs. You know, mm-hmm. the, the focus is that, you know, there's a big football game, but then they throw in that it's against Ham- Hampton. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more Black people in the background. We saw Black people last year in season one in the background, but we also saw a lot of non-Black folk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even this season, we are we did see non-Black people in the background, but overwhelmingly Black folks Yeah, to further help establish that this is a Black college campus. And then, of course, you know, we got those more overt references to, to HBCUs and Black folks with the step show. Uh, with Ron pledging Kappa Lambda Nu, with Jesse Jackson's visit, especially at the time that he visited, which was not long after his his presidential run. Mm-hmm. But I appreciated those subtle nods in just about every episode um, that helped to reestablish this environment. And the other thing that surprised me was I forgot how much Kim and Freddie grew over the years. Because mm-hmm. when I think about them, I think I realize that I really think about them maybe how they were in seasons five and six, like mm-hmm. once they became grown. But I forgot like how how naive Freddie was at the beginning. Yeah. Or how Kim had her moments of of irresponsibility. I think yeah. I I only saw her as, you know, this girl that's going to med school. She's working at the pitch. She got it all covered. Right. And uh uh-uh, uh there was a couple of episodes where Kim was just you know lucky <laughs> lucky that yeah. things worked out um so yeah that that was nice to revisit something else that um i wouldn't i won't say surprised me but that that i forgot about you know and thinking about the differences between season one and season two was the development of the male characters and their storylines and their relationships Mm -hmm. so we got to see more of the dynamic and growth between Ron and Dwayne 
um, the relationships between Dwayne and the male faculty, uh, you know, i.e. Colonel Taylor, the relationship between the guys and Walter, and then also, you know, the OG gang, you know, the cigar crew, Mm-hmm. And those conversations. So um, I appreciated the development of the male characters too in season two, which we did not get in season one. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, now, what did you learn about season two that you didn't know before? Um, I'll go back to, and I said it before, not so I, I won't talk about it a lot, but. Um, just the number of non-black writers that were on cast. I assumed going in that everybody, you know, around the table, production writers were were black. Right. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think, and this is more relevant to our um, our pre, pre-season shows, I guess you could say, um, when we talked about the um, introduction of Debbie Allen to the show. I did not realize how integral she was to the revamp of a different world. Mm-hmm. I knew that she was important, but I just didn't have a full appreciation of how important she was and also kind of realizing the time that that they were in. Oh yeah. And how profound it was that a woman like her was able to do what she did. Mm-hmm. A black woman being at the helm of a show like this, you know, again, directing each and every episode this season when, at a time when Black women were barely allowed to direct anything. It, it, it's a major accomplishment. And mm-hmm, absolutely. She deserves every accolade. So, yeah, I, I did not realize all that went into um, Debbie Allen's hand mm-hmm. revamping this show. And also what I realized was that, you know, comparing between season two and season one, there were a few memorable moments from season one. The Eggby episode was is memorable, maybe sure. not for the best thing, best reasons. And then I remembered Rudy visiting, but that was about it. it there was a lot of things that were forgettable, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of things that were quite memorable in season two. And I didn't realize that so many of those moments that stuck yeah. in my head actually came from season two, yeah. um, which was pretty early in the se- series run. So like things that I remembered about A Different World was the Gladys Knight episode with Whitley and Jaleesa singing with her, was Jesse Jackson coming to town was the step show, was Freddie's sexual assault. I remember Mm -hmm. that clearly. You know, I remember Walter singing that Sheila is Jaleesa song. I did not realize all of that came from season two. Season two, yeah, yeah. I can identify with that. So, you know, they did a lot of work uh, in a very short amount of time. True. All right, now, finally, do you have any favorite episodes from season two? Yeah, I would say my favorite episodes are the Jesse Jackson episode. That's my number one. Um, My second favorite or one of my other favorites would have to be Kim's pregnancy scare. And I liked the, the one where Ron and Dwayne are pledging. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, I don't think I can put them in order, but um, my favorites this season were the Step Show episode, Mm -hmm. 
the Gladys Knight episode and the Jesse Jackson episode. Okay. Those were those were great. Yeah, I, I like those too. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to pick a favorite because I, I liked pretty much every episode mm-hmm. this season. But I'd say those three stood out for me. Gotcha. All right. Well, I think we are done, classmates, with season two of A Different World and season two of Hillman and Class Reunion. Yes. Aw. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Yes, but thank you all for hanging in there with us. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you for for communicating with us. Thank you so much for your feedback. We appreciate um, you rating us. We appreciate you telling people about us and sharing this podcast with others. We appreciate all the downloads and streams, everything. Absolutely. You really help us to keep this thing going. It's just the two of us, by the way. Right. And so we are doing this as a labor of love. And so we really appreciate this opportunity to just revisit a show that has meant so much to us and has made such an impact on our lives. And we know that it's meant a lot and made an impact on your lives as well. So thank you all for congregating with us and 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 getting together around what we think is the most important sitcom ever. Absolutely. And also shout out to our special guest this season, Cynthia Dorsey, Talisha Cersei, and Quinn Flowers. We definitely enjoyed having you participate in our conversations. And we look forward to additional guests next year. I've truly had a blast, Dr. Flowers. Me too. This was fun. I can't wait for us to get back together for season three. I know, right? Well, in the meantime, we are signing off for now. This concludes the second season of our Human Class Reunion podcast. Again, we cannot thank you enough for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you next time. I'm Dr. LaRonda Ely. And I'm Dr. Portia Flowers. Thank you for listening to this installment of Hillman Class Reunion Podcast. Hillman Class Reunion is produced, written, directed, and edited by LaRonda Ely and Portia Flowers. Original intro and outro music was produced by our friend and brother, Daquan Bowen. You can get more information about him at daquanbowen.com. That's D-E-Y-Q-U-A-N-B-O-W-E-N-S.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hillman Reunion, Instagram at Hillman Class Reunion, and Facebook at Hillman Class Reunion. And visit our website at hillmanclassreunion.wordpress.com. And hey, classmates, like, rate, and subscribe to Hillman Class Reunion on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that you join us for our next episode of Hillman Class Reunion. Bye. Bye.